Imagine, if you will, a husband who spends hour upon hour with another woman. He talks with her about his problems, and she talks about her problems with him. And, and he travels with her and spends lots of time with her, and, and talking. And he's constantly thinking about her and constantly talking about her. And one day, the wife decides she's going to confront her husband, and she confronts her husband about his obvious feelings for this other woman. And he says to her, what's the matter? I married you, didn't I? I, I pay the mortgage, don't I? I do all of my duties, don't I? When someone asks me, I tell them that you're my wife. Why are you so upset? And the wife will look at her husband and say, it is because someone else has captured your heart. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about the things that capture our hearts. What has captured your heart? Has Jesus captured your heart? You see, we're all in a relationship with God. We're in a relationship with Jesus. And let's face it, there are times that we cheat on him. There are times that we break his heart because we pursue the things of this world or we pursue the things of this life and we cheat on our relationship with Jesus. We're continuing in our sermon series, The Prodigal God, this week. It's uh, the third week of our Bible, st Bible studies, and uh, we've got a lot of people involved in the, the Prodigal God Bible studies, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I know I'm getting a lot out of it. Um, I, last week, we talked about the, the people around Jesus, the people who were around him, the, the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the, the chief priests and teachers of the law. We talked about those groups of people and who they were and what they did. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the younger brother, the younger son, and we're going to talk about how he loved the father's things, but he didn't love the father. So we're going to look at this younger son, and we're going to talk about what he truly loved. What did the younger son really love? What did he truly want? What were his reasons for leaving home and setting out on his own? Why did he leave the comforts of home and the embrace of his father to set out and seek for something else? And then the question that really we're going to deal with is, how are we like the younger son? How are we like the son who says, I'm going to leave home? I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. How are we like that younger son? You know, the younger son went to his father and he said, give me my share. Give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the inheritance. And in a certain way, we all do this very same thing. We want what we want and we want it right now. And in that way, we're like the younger son. And that's what we're going to talk about for the balance of our time. If you would grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and 12, we're going to look at these two verses today. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you. Should be one there. But Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and 12. The words will also, the verses will be on the screen this morning as well uh, for you. Uh, grab your bulletin, turn to page three to the handy dandy outline. You can fill in some blanks. And the first blank on your outline is the meaning of the request. The meaning of the request. And the, uh, the younger son made a request of his father. Let's see what that was there in Luke 15, verses 11 and 12, starting in, the, in verse 11. 
Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, this parable is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. And that's actually kind of a misnomer. It's not the, it shouldn't be the name of the, the parable. We spend all of our time focusing on the younger son. And I think it's because we see ourselves in the younger son so often. We think of ourselves as the one who's rebellious. We think of, the one, of ourselves as the one who went away. Uh, we, we left something in order to go pursue something that left us feeling spiritually empty. That left us completely spiritually bankrupt. And so we pursued the things of this world, leaving the home, leaving the Father's embrace in order to go searching and seeking for something that we think is going to bring us fulfillment, that we think is going to bring us happiness and contentment. And what we find too often is that we are sitting in a pigsty. So this younger son uh, is just one of two sons. And I think that that's important, that there were two sons in the story. And for this week, we're going to talk about the younger son. Next week, we're going to talk about the older brother, the older son. Uh, but that's for next week. Uh, today, I just really want to talk about this younger son. Um, so he's got these two sons, a younger son, older son. And the younger son makes a request. And it's not just any request. It is, it is an audacious and disrespectful request. It is a request that would have shocked the people listening to Jesus as he told this story. They would have been aghast. They would have been flabbergasted. They would have been uh, exasperated. The, the younger son goes to his father and requests his share of the estate. Now, it may not sound like a big deal, but in those days, this is a huge deal. Because what the younger son was literally saying to his father was, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Because when do you receive an inheritance? It's when someone dies. When someone passes away, then you receive the inheritance. And this younger son goes to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the estate right now. I want it now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. While I'm young, give me my share of the estate. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, it affords for uh, dividing up an, an inheritance. The older son would receive a double portion of the estate. So in this instance, you've got two sons. Your older son is going to get two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son is going to get one-third of the estate. And so he wants his third now. I don't want to wait till you die, Dad. I want you to die. I wish you were dead right now. Uh, and so I, I can't wait to receive the share, my share of the inheritance, so I want, you, I want it right now. Now, this story would have angered the crowds around Jesus. As they're listening to this story, they're, they're listening to Jesus tell the story. He's told them two stories already, the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and now we get the parable of the prodigal son. And this young, audacious, snot-nosed little brat comes to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the estate now. And the people around Jesus are screaming, what, who would do such a thing? It's a very, uh, it's unthinkable what he would do. The younger son, does he realize what he's doing? He's turning his father's world upside down. He's breaking his father's heart. Keller says that he loved the father's things. He didn't love the father. And that's why he did what he did. Because he wanted the father's stuff, but he didn't want the father's heart and instead he broke the father's heart 
the younger son's heart was set on, on wealth and the comfort and status that wealth brings. He may have been a good son. He may have been a, a very respectful son up until this point. He may have obeyed his father like a good son would. But in this moment, in this moment of greed and desire, he breaks his father's heart. He sees his father as a means to an end. He loved the father's things, but he didn't love the father. Uh, Augustine was an early Christian theologian, and he offered up a theory as to why we sin. He said, suppose a man has murdered another man, and you may ask, what was his motive? Well, perhaps he desired his property or his wife, or else maybe he was going to If it was something other, he would just steal to support himself. Or maybe he was afraid of losing something or someone close to him. Or else maybe he would have been injured. Maybe it was out of self-defense. Or maybe he was burning to be revenged. Whatever the reason, this man has sinned. Augustine goes on to say that a murderer murders because he loves something. He loves romance or wealth or his reputation or something else too much, inordinately, more than God. And that is why he murders. Our hearts, he says are distorted by disordered loves. Disordered loves. We love, rest our hearts in, and look to things to give us the joy and meaning that only the Lord can give. That in reality, we're looking for something. In this life, we are looking for hope. We are looking for meaning. We are looking for purpose. We are looking for love. Everybody is looking for love. And too often, we look for love where? In all the wrong places, right? We're looking for love, and we're looking for it in all the wrong places. And in reality, the love that we crave, the love that we desire, that unconditional love is, can only be found in one place. It can only be found in Christ. Because Jesus loves you perfectly, and Jesus loves you unconditionally. Nothing else will satisfy. There are things that will gratify, but they are only temporary. Only Jesus can fully satisfy the longings of your heart. So you have this younger son who views his father as a means to an end, and he stabs the father's heart emotionally as he makes this audacious request. The father should have sent him away for having such disrespect. He was not only tearing his father's world apart and tearing his father's heart apart, he was tearing his family apart. He was putting a a division between him and his brother, and he's tearing apart the family and breaking his father's heart. The father should have sent him away. The father should have disowned him and said, I want nothing to do with you, you little brat. Get out of my sight. But that's not what the father did. That's not what the father does. The second blank on your outline is the response to the request the response to the request look at the second half of verse 12 it simply says so he divided his property between them he divided his property between them the younger son the younger son's request was shocking no doubt it's a shocking request to wish your father dead but the father's response is even more shocking and even more radical they lived in a very patriarchal society Uh, You respected your elders. You respected your father. You looked up to them. You honored them. You did what they told you to do. You did not talk back. The punishment was too severe. The listeners would have been outraged at the disrespect the the father was shown by the younger son. And they would have been even more outraged that the father didn't send the younger son away with some kind of a beating. But that's not what this father does. 
Jesus simply says that he divided his property between them. Now, everything you owned in those days was tied up in your what? In your land. Everything was tied up in your land. Very agricultural society. Everything was tied up in the land. So for this father, whose wealth and his status and his position in the community is all related to his land, what does he have to do in order to get the money to give his son? He has to sell the land. And so we're not talking that he just goes down to the bank with the key and opens up the safe deposit box, pulls out $10,000, says, here, get out of my sight, you little brat. That's not what he does. He has to go out and he has to put a for sale sign up in front of the land. He's got to go on eBay and Craigslist and he's got to go on on the Internet and he's got to sell all his stuff. He's got to sell his his property. He's got to sell his land. He's got to sell his stuff in order to get the money for it so he can give it to his little ungracious son. So he turns his whole world upside down. He rips his entire life apart. He loses his status. He loses his wealth. He loses his property so that he could fulfill his son's request. What an amazing kind of love this father has for his son that he's willing to let him go and to pursue whatever he's out to pursue. And he funds it for him by fulfilling his request. The son's request is impetuous. The son's request is insolent. The son's request is disrespectful. And it costs the father dearly. One of the things that Keller points out in the video that we watched is that the word for property in the Greek is the word bios. It's the word that from which we get our word biology. It's a word that means life. Biology means the study of living things or the study of life. And so it says, when it says that he divided his property between them, it literally means that he divided his life. He was ripping his life apart for his son. Can you imagine this kind of a love that a father has for his child? That when the son comes to him and says something so audacious and something so disrespectful that the father doesn't right upside the head, but the father says, okay, I will give you what you ask for. That is an amazing kind of grace. That is an amazing kind of love. This father was going to lose everything. He was going to lose his wealth. He was going to lose his status. He's gonna, and, and now, when his son goes away, he's going to lose his son too. The son wanted what he wanted. And the father, in kindness and graciousness, grants his request, even at great cost to himself. Why? Why not drive away the son with the beating he deserved? Why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Because the father, get this, okay? The father wanted to preserve the relationship with his son. The father wanted to keep the door open for restitution. Uh, I'm sorry, for reconciliation and restoration. You see, if the father sends him away with a smack upside his head, or he drives him away with blows, or he disowns him and tells him, you're not welcome here. He closes the door for reconciliation and restoration. The, the father sends his son away, and the son says, I can never go back. But by the father fulfilling his son's request, he makes it possible for the son to come back home someday. He doesn't break the relationship. He would rather break his own social standing. He would bra rather break his own 
uh, property up. He would rather rip his own life apart than to lose that relationship with his son. And he allows the son the opportunity to someday come back home. You know, he could have, he could have become very bitter. The father could have become very bitter and say, how could he do this to me? How could he make such a request? Ask me to sell all my stuff and give him his share of the inheritance. How could, how could he do that to me? I want nothing to do with this child. The son could have become very embittered too. The son could have said, you know what? Fine, that's the way you want it, old man. I'm out of here and I'm never coming back. But you see, the father, by fulfilling his son's request, kept bitterness out of it. The son was going to leave no matter what. The son had made up his mind. That's what kids do, right? That's what kids do. When, when we're little, seven years old, I'm going to run away. How many of your kids ever said that? How many of you ever said that? I'm going to run away. Pack a bag, a little handkerchief on a stick. That's right. I'm going to go be a hobo. I'm going to go. I'm going to go ride the rails. I'm going to leave home. Right? Little kids make up their minds. This young son had made up his mind. There's a great big world out there, and I'm going to go see it. There's a great big world out there, and I'm going to go explore it. I'm going to go discover what's out there. Because this here at home, this isn't doing it for me anymore. I've got to go out and find out what's out there. And so the younger son says, I'm leaving no matter what. He thought that he knew best. Tell me the kids don't think they know best, right? Absolutely. I know best. I know what's good for me. I know what I'm doing. And we never get over that, do we? Forty years old. About to turn 41. Guess what? I still know best. Not at all. In reality, who knew best? The father knew best. It was better for the father to suffer disgrace for a little while in order to keep that, res that, that relationship open than to preserve his reputation and lose his son. Let me say that one more time. It was better for the father to, dis to suffer disgrace for a little while to keep the relationship open than uh, to preserve his reputation and lose his son. Keller says that the father was willing to suffer for the sin of the child so that someday reconciliation would be possible. The father was willing to suffer for the sin of the child so that someday reconciliation would be possible. Do you see where we're going here? See, because this matters. And the reason that this matters is because at some point we're all like the younger son. At some point we all say, I'm leaving home. I've had enough of this. You know, when I went to college, when I went to college, I went to Indiana State. I graduated high school in 92. can't believe it's been 22 years. I graduated high school in 92. And then I, I went down to school and I said, I'm done with going to church. I've had enough. I want to do what I want to do. I am going to partay. And I meant it two words, par and tay. I was going to do it. I was going to have fun. I was going to socialize. I was going to do what I wanted to do. I had made up my mind. I'm out of here. I'm going to do what I want to do. Praise the Lord for a man and his wife, Mark and Sue Gallagher, the campus ministers at Indiana State, because they kept me on the right track and they wouldn't let me go. And I started going to the campus ministry there, and they pulled me back, even though I was willing to, to walk away from it all. God wouldn't let me go, and I praised his name for that, and I praised his name for that wonderful family. But see, we're all like that younger son. 
At some point in our lives, we say, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for me, and I know what I need to do, and I know what I want to do. And what I want to do, that's not what God wants me to do, but I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. We are all impetuous. We are all insolent. We are all insubordinate. We want what we want, and we're going to do what we want to do. We want we want to sin, and we want to go all out for sin. We want to live a a life and we want the things of this world and it doesn't matter who we hurt in order to get what we want. We want to follow our sinful desires and nothing and no one is going to stop us or stand in our way. We want to partay. We want the fun. We want the things of this world. We We want the things of God. We want God's blessings in our lives, but we don't want to submit to him and follow him. The the prophet Isaiah describes this perfectly in Isaiah 53, 6. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We're all like sheep. We're all losing our way time and time again. We keep wandering away from the flock. We're searching for freedom. We're searching for fun. And all we're finding is folly. We want to party like rock stars. And we want the rock and roll lifestyle that goes along with sin. If only I could do what I want. If only I could have things the way I want them. Why can't I have a Burger King kind of life and have it my way? Right? If I could only have it my way, if I could only do things the way I want all the time, then I'd be happy. And so we tell the Father, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm done. And God would be well within his rights to say, I'm washing my hands of you. I'm done. You want to leave? Go. Fine. Out. Don't come back. God would be well within his rights. He is God. We are his creation. We are subordinate to him. We submit to him. And when we rebel against him, we deserve for him to say, fine, I'm done with you. See a human race. But that's not what he does. That's not what God does at all. He could say, get back here. He could say, you're not going anywhere. But it's not what he does. If you want to go, he gives us the free will. He gives us the free choice to go. You can go. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. It rips my heart apart to see you go. And I don't want you to go. But I'm going to give you the, free, the freedom to go if that's what you want. You know, he gives us the freedom. He gives us the free will. He gives us the choice to love him or love his things. To stay home Or we can choose to leave his side. We can love him for who he is or we can love him for what he can do for us. We can take his blessings for granted and we do. But know this. Know this. The Heavenly Father is a lot like the Father in this story. He is waiting and he is willing to welcome us back. He is willing to take us back in. We can come to him and we can say, I'm out of here. And he does not drive us away with a beating that we deserve. He knows what we're in for. He knows the kind of life that we want to live, and he knows what's out there and how it's only going to leave us feeling empty. But he lets us go. He knows that what's best is for us to stay home and be satisfied in him. But he knows that we're determined and that we do, like sheep, wander away and we wander astray from home. But God, in his goodness, and God in his love, And in his kindness and his graciousness and his gentleness leaves the door open for us to come back home. 
like Motel 6. He leaves the light on for you. And he welcomes you back home. How did he do this? Isaiah 53, 6, the second half of that verse says, The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, all of our sins. And then in verse 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. God sent Jesus to take our beating. He sent Jesus to take his wrath. The wrath that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, he put it on Jesus instead on the cross. He died on the cross to forgive our sins. God sent Jesus. He tore heaven open and sent his son down to us. And he died on that cross to forgive our sins. He died on that cross to bring us hope, to bring us love, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us peace and reconciliation. He left the door open. He left the light on and says, you're welcome to come home. Whenever you're ready, I'm here and I'm waiting for you to come back home. His hands and his feet were nailed to the cross. His body was bruised and beaten and battered. They pressed a crown of thorns upon his head. And he died on that cross and he did it all for us. And he made it possible for us to come back home from our wanderings and going astray we can come back home to be restored to be reconciled to be forgiven to be set free we can come back home and how is that possible because all of our sins all of our rebellion all of our wandering all of our going astray has been washed away in the blood of the lamb it has all been washed away by the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. That Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and died. And that by God's grace through faith in Jesus expressed in belief and repentance and confession and baptism. That when we do these things, when we uh, obey Jesus uh, by uh, believing in him and repenting and confessing and being baptized, our sins are washed away. away. Our, uh, we are given that freedom. We are given that uh, that welcome home that we so longingly desire. And God wants to welcome you back home. And he says, you're welcome to come home. And you can come home today. Come home. We are free to return home to the Father's embrace. We are free to love the Father and not his things, to have a relationship based on love and not a relationship based on terror or a relationship based on fear or a relationship based on rule following. We can have this restored relationship with the Father and we are free to express gratitude and thanksgiving. Our hearts are captured by the wonderful grace and the amazing love of Jesus Christ. I began this sermon by telling you about a, a husband whose heart was no longer captured by his wife. And our hearts, they get captured by other things. Our hearts get captured by the things of this world. And God says, I want to capture your heart. Jesus says, I want to capture your heart. Everything that we could possibly want, everything that we could possibly need is right here with the Father. We have it right now. We don't need the inheritance that has been promised to us is an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. The inheritance that we have is ours in Christ Jesus and nothing can take it away. It is ours. And when you see that everything that Jesus has done for you, when you see how he suffered and died for your sins, when you see how he loves you unconditionally and how he welcomes you back home at any point, at any time, whenever you're ready to come home and he welcomes you home, when you see what he's done, don't you want to love him? Don't you want your heart to be captured by him? 
to push everything out of the way, to, to rip everything apart that is not of him, but to love him with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. This is what we're called to do, to be captured, to have our hearts captured by the love of Jesus and then to love him with everything that we are. So what does that look like? How do we love Jesus? Well, it, it means that we, we serve him. It means that we love his people. It means that we love others, that we love this world, that we help people follow Jesus, that we give our lives in service to him and his kingdom. It means that we really surrender and devote ourselves to him completely, knowing that he will always welcome us home and never turn us away.